Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. That is not that I think everybody should go do psychedelics. Obviously, we're gonna get so much email about this. We're gonna get just, so many emails. I'm sitting it's here fine. quietly meditating for my <gasps> inbox. Sarah at pantsupoliticsshow.com. I'm I'm just telling you, I read the book and I was like, you got me. You hooked me, Michael Pollan. I'm in. I'm all in. And like, I have a lot of friends who've done psychedelics. It's not necessarily like a a truly like out there experience. Lots of people do psychedelics. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. We're so happy that you are with us for our Friday episode. We're going to cover a lot of news today. We're going to talk about what's happening domestically with the Attorney General and the House of Representatives and the Senate and the President. We are also going to discuss the international scene right now. We have a lot of activity in Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Mike Pompeo. Where in the world is Mike Pompeo? All the reporting right now on Mike Pompeo is he was supposed to be here, but he's not going there. He's not telling the press with him where they're going. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Then we are going to discuss the tragic school shooting in Denver. And Sarah wants to talk about psychedelics to wrap this show I'm up. I'm so excited. It's Friday. I'm so excited. Let's do it. So all of that is coming your way. But first, a couple of housekeeping items. Thank you so much for all the amazing surveys you filled out. I think we like have almost a thousand at this point. And it has been so enlightening. You guys are releasing us from some really stressful stuff we were doing. And I'm here for it. So Please keep filling out the surveys. The link is in the show notes. The link is in our Instagram profile. It's also on our Facebook page. So if you haven't yet filled out the 2019 Pantsu Politics Survey, please do so. Can I also say that as of right now, we are 979 people on Instagram away from Sarah's desired 10,000 goal. And I just want to take a second and tell you about our approach to this because we have grown our social media presences very 
slowly and intentionally because we want them to be good spaces for discussion. There are tons of ways to dramatically increase your following very quickly that we have avoided purposefully because we want you to know that you're with other people who listen to the show and kind of get what the deal is here. We don't want to turn into the internet comments section. So we really appreciate those of you who listen to the podcast taking time to follow us there and support us with that goal. I also want to remind you that if your book club is reading I Think You're Wrong But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversation, if you order 25 books, we'll Skype with you to talk about it. And we've done that recently and it was so much fun and we have another one of those coming up soon and we would love to add your book club to the list. So 25 books, you let us know. You can get all the information on the book's website, which will be in the show notes, and we'll come Skype with you. We think it would be amazing. And one final little piece. I mentioned this at the end of Tuesday's show, but I wanted to bring it back up at the beginning of this show. My church, Grace Episcopal in Paducah, Kentucky, is hiring a full-time children's minister. So if you are interested in coming and living in Paducah and serving an amazing Episcopal church and hanging out with my adorable children, hit me up. Send me an email. We're really excited about expanding the program at our church. And I just thought, man, we have so many awesome people listening to our podcast. I should give them a little heads up if they're looking for a change of location or change of career. Heck. Here's where we are. The House Judiciary Committee has voted to hold the attorney general in contempt. They will recommend that action now to the full house. And then everyone will decide what they want to do with that contempt citation. Seems likely that they will take this issue with the attorney general directly to court, which I think is the most expedient path, even though going to court and expedient, usually not in the same sentence. Well, I mean, it's not the most expedient path. They could straight up have him arrested by the sergeant at arms. I'm not saying they should do that. I'm just saying it would be faster. <laughs> that's a good point. That would be faster. I do it would be faster. It would be unwise. But so that's oh. happening in the House More interestingly, I think the Senate Judiciary Committee has sent a subpoena to Donald Trump Jr., which is causing heads to explode all over the universe because the Senate Judiciary Committee continues to operate in a bipartisan way. Mm -hmm. I just want to take a moment and extend my heartfelt thanks to Senator Mm -hmm. Burr and Senator Warner for acting like adults and doing their work. Thank you, gentlemen. I bristle a little bit because I really don't think the issue with the House is that Jerry Nadler and his like are not acting like adults. I mean, the dude with the chicken is definitely not acting like an adult. But I don't know. I feel like Jerry Nadler is really trying to be the adult in the room. I know that's not what you're saying. I just kind of feel like I need to defend him for a minute. That's not what I'm saying. Here's where I think the Jerry Nadler dispute comes out. One, he does not have a good partner in the Republicans on his committee. And that's mm-hmm. where my real frustration mm-hmm. lies yeah, because right. this is a solvable problem. And if he had good mm-hmm. partners on the, in the Republican legislators on his committee, this could be dealt with. I do think that a fully unredacted copy of the Mueller report given to every member of Congress is probably not a good idea because of the ongoing investigations and ongoing matters we don't know what they are, right? But there are 14 of them listed in the report. It's all redacted. We shouldn't jeopardize those ongoing proceedings. But that doesn't mean like that this is an all or nothing proposition. There is a huge amount of space between what the attorney general has offered and what Democrats are asking for. And if Republicans on the committee would work with the Democrats on this instead of just doing the Mitch McConnell case closed, Lindsey Graham, we're done here, line, this could, we we don't have to be on the brink. You know what I mean? We don't have to go ask a federal judge to mediate this dispute because there are such obvious ways to move forward in it. And I think that the entire tone from the Trump administration is why Nadler is escalating. It's not about this one issue, right? It's about the declaration that Congress isn't going to get anything. Mm -hmm. There's going to be no oversight, not just with respect to the Mueller report, but with respect to all of his financial information. He's saying Congress can't even legitimately decide if my ethics filings are accurate because we're giving them nothing. And that's what's pushing us in this direction. So when he started doing this, I was getting really riled up about 
listen, you don't get to decide if there are co-equal branches only if the other branch is controlled by your party, which is basically how he talks. Well, it's Democrats. No, it's Congress, friend. Congress. But (laughs) the reporting today, especially from Politico, I just kind of had this moment where I'm like, oh, no, this is just a political strategy. He thinks I will escalate this till they call for my impeachment and that will help me win 2020. And I'm like frustrated with myself for even for a moment giving him the benefit of the doubt. It wasn't the benefit of the doubt, but I just assumed there was was some sort of valid positioning here and that I don't know why he has no concern for our democratic institutions or processes. He has shown that over and over again. So I don't know why I still start from a position of giving him like 10 percent that he cares or that somebody on his staff cares or that somebody else is looking out for the impact of these decisions because he just shows over and over again. It's not the case. I really think he's just thinking I will escalate this to impeachment. That will rile up my base and I will win. I think that's right. Ugh, so sickening. This underscores my biggest reaction to the Mueller report, which is there's no one in the room with this administration saying what's good for America. Mm-hmm. If the strategy is goad the Democrats into impeachment, where's the person in the room saying, is this good for America? Because it's clearly not. Even if you love the president, it's not good. Yeah, it's like even in the Mueller report, the staffers who stood up and said something, it was really like, it wasn't like, what's good for America? It's sort of like, well, what's going to keep me out of jail? I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> and we're like praising those people like they're heroes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's also how is this going to play in the press, right? Those are mm-hmm. the two guiding lines, not what's good for America. And I think even if you love this president, think he's done a fantastic job and are itching to vote for him for reelection, you have to acknowledge that an impeachment process is terrible for the country. I think that's why Nancy Pelosi is doing such an excellent job right now. She lived through the 90s and living through the 90s benefited her party and she still doesn't want to put the country through this, right? And the president lived through the 90s, and I think he thinks he would come out of this with the Bill Clinton treatment, right? That this out-of-control Congress was unfairly going after him in just a partisan way. And I don't think that's what's happening here. Maybe the story would sell to the American people that way. I don't know. But I appreciate that Nancy Pelosi is trying to be cautious in how she's maneuvering this thing. And I also think at some point, the administration cannot just thumb its nose at Congress on every single front. Yeah. I thought, too, the hypocrisy of the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee standing up there and being like, this is unprecedented. Oh, you mean like when you did it to Eric Holder? (laughs) What part of that? Was that one unprecedented? That one actually was unprecedented. So I don't know what anybody, especially on the Republican side, sees as the end game. Like, you just think that they'll impeach. Well, I know what you think the end game is for the Trump administration. But once he shreds this, what's going to happen when you're on the other side? What's going to happen when there's a Democratic president and you guys are in charge of Congress? I mean, what's next? I agree with that. It's why I give so much credit to Senators Burr and Warren, because, you know, there has been give and take from both sides there. You know, Mm -hmm. that committee has not been as aggressive as Democrats would have liked, and it has not been providing active cover for the president as Republicans would like. And for the two of them to just continue on quietly doing their work, preparing to issue a report that says to the American people, hey, we did this alongside the special counsel's team. Here's what we think. I just think it is historically important the way that those two in that committee has worked together. Mm -hmm. The administration's feelings about the rule of law really spill into where we are internationally right now. I don't know if you've seen this, Sarah. Connor Friedersdorf, who's writing I Really Respect at The Atlantic, he has a piece out today called Thanks to Trump, War is in the Air. It is Mm. very short. It is mostly bullet points. And it's just a factual summary of where we are because the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor keep talking about conflicts that we are prepared to intervene in militarily and don't seem to be concerned at all about congressional authorization for intervening. Or in how conflicts. long that list is. It's a long list. It's a long list, friends. <sighs> I mean, even if you think even like separate from the congressional issue, what's your plan? It's a really long list. And it's a hard list, and it's hard in ways that this administration did not create. It has escalated some of these, 
Venezuela, for example, is a terrible crisis. I have no idea what the best policy from the United States would be on Venezuela. I do know that I think getting involved militarily would be a mistake. And even if that's the right course of action, I think Congress needs to authorize that. I see no way to shoehorn our existing authorization for the use of military force onto Venezuela. The reporting today following up from Tuesday is that Iran had implied its agreement to start attacking U.S. troops in the Middle East to groups that have been in the Middle East for some time, that Iran has been working with for some time, but it's just they're kind of ratcheting up their interest in using those groups to attack American troops. Okay, I understand why that provokes a reaction from this administration. I also think that if we are seriously considering the use of military force in Iran, which I believe would be a mistake, that needs congressional authorization. Mike Pompeo says, I don't think it does. Oh, my God. North Korea fired test missiles this week. We fired some test missiles, too. We say the two things are unrelated. I think that seems unlikely. Where are we going with this? What's where? What's the strategy here? Because he inherited, the president inherited an incredibly complex geopolitical situation. It has only become more complex in the course of his tenure. And we have all of these potential military engagements, plus trade with China, Plus the situation with Russia. I mean, it's just, what is the strategy? And in the meantime, we're focused on stonewalling Congress domestically. I'm frustrated about this. Someone said in a survey that they feel like the show's become depressing. And I hate that. I just, this this is kind of a depressing situation. I mean, the through line is we do whatever we want. That's the through line through both situations is We are not subject to the rule of law or constitutional checks and balances. The executive can do whatever they want. Right. Right. I mean, I don't I don't I I can't dress that up any other way. That's what all that means. And I just you know, if I'm a Democratic nominee, I say this is what he thinks. Great. How would you feel if Hillary Clinton acted like that? How would you feel if your party gets in charge next time? Is this what we want? We just want a trade-off between partisan monarchs that just undo everything the previous administration does, double down until they lose, and then the next one. I mean, do we want to live in this kind of environment? Is this what our founding fathers envisioned? It's depressing. I agree. Another really difficult story this week came out of Colorado. There was a shooting in Charlotte, North Carolina, days later, a shooting in a Colorado high school. A student died, Kendrick Castillo. He helped a couple of other students apparently rush the shooter. So probably several lives were saved by those students' actions. And a vigil was held at STEM School Highlands Ranch High School for him. And here we are again. This mirrors... A very similar story at the University of North Carolina with Riley Howell, who was 21, who charged the gunman, lost his life, being acknowledged by law enforcement officials as saving lives. Not to mention Lori Kay at the synagogue in California, who also confronted the shooter and put herself between the rabbi and the shooter. So what really breaks my heart is that this school in Colorado was very close to Columbine. I think they'd had heightened security because the 20th anniversary. And this is, you know... Similar to what happened in my area of the country, we had a shooting at my high school, which was about which was one year before Columbine. And then we also recently had another school shooting very close in proximity to us. And so, you know, I'm wondering, like I'm I'm wondering for them if they have second generation people. I'm heartbroken about this kid who lost his lives trying to save others. But this narrative about the heroes and they are heroes. There's nothing they can take from that. Right. They took a they made a selfless decision and lost their lives trying to save others. I think my concern is that, like, I don't I'm a mother of three boys. I don't want my boys to be heroes. Like This is not I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for children to be heroes. Children are called on to be safe, not be brave. And I don't want it to become like that. This is. 
what we're asking our kids to do. I just want them to be safe. I don't want them to have to confront that decision at school. I don't think that's too much to ask for. I was thinking about this story and how if I were the parents of of any of these kids, I would be both enormously proud of them and also just like shaking my fist at the universe, furious that they had to do this Mm -hmm. and worried about what effect it will have on them long term that they had to do this. You know, it's so traumatic to have to be a hero. We don't do a good job serving our firefighters and our police officers and our members of the military well because we love celebrating their heroism and we struggle with the side of heroism that is incredibly painful and damaging to people. And so I I agree with you that there's so much complexity around what these kids did. Thank you to these kids, right? It's I'm grateful and I think they made the best decisions that they could under the circumstances and also It's too big of an ask of children to protect other children in their schools from shootings. And just it's it's too much of an ask. Look, I'm not even asking the teachers to do that. I'm just not. (laughs) The only people I ask to put their lives at risk for other people's safety are the people who sign up to do it and are trained to do it like police officers. That's a big enough ask for them. And they know they're doing it. I'm not trying to put in a person who never thought that was going to be something they were asked to do. I don't know. I just, it's so frustrating and heartbreaking. The presence of a heroic decision does not change the fact that a child died. It just doesn't. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Okay, everybody, we're going to shift gears dramatically here. So Denver just had a vote to decriminalize the psychedelic psilocybin. So it's not legal. They're just not going to prosecute it, which they really weren't doing anyway. But now they're really not going to. And I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. Beth, what do you know about psychedelics? This will be a good like little focus group of what the average citizen knows about this particular class of drugs. Only what I've listened to you talk about. This is not an area that I've independently investigated. Well, like, but before I started talking about it, like, what was your what was your general ideas? Like, what what what, what did you know about psych- psychedelics based on like high school and college? What did you what did you what did you heard? I don't know that I've heard much of anything. I mean, I feel like psychedelics is just something that hasn't come up a lot in my conversations <laughs> about Drugs have always been like the kind of just say no, like themes that I heard growing up were rarely about psychedelics. Right. It was it was so much more like marijuana and alcohol and what like, I don't know. I don't even know. I feel like I haven't thought a lot about drugs in my life. There you are. Well, I mean, what I always heard growing up is that they were dangerous. You should never do it because if you do LSD, you'll have a bad. LSD was the only psychedelic I knew about. You, Well, no, that's not true. Did I know? I don't know if I knew mushrooms since LSD were different, honestly. I just knew, like, if you had a bad trip, you could, you know, it was just a crapshoot. And if you did a psychedelic, you could have a bad trip and then you'd be a schizophrenic for the rest of your life. Okay. So that's not true, everybody. P.S. They're not addictive. They're not very dangerous. The biggest danger with, with psychedelics is that you will have a not a bad trip that causes you to to lose grasp of reality forever, but a bad trip and you would expose yourself to dangerous situations. So it's always very advisable to be guided on a psychedelic trip. But anyway, so the first thing this is funny. The first thing I kind of like started thinking about them differently is there was an episode of Mad Men where they did psychedelics and I was like I don't think I understood what psychedelics were. And then, obviously, I've talked about this before. I think Michael Pollan wrote a book called How to Change Your Mind. I love Michael Pollan. He's built a lot of trust with me because of his books about nutrition and diet, omnivore's dilemma, food rules, and the like. And so this was his kind of new thing. He did all of them. He did psilocybin. He did LSD. He did ayahuasca, which has gotten a lot of play in pop culture. Chelsea Handler did it on her show. And then he did the one I can never think the name of, but it's like a poisonous Mexican toad. Anyway. It's so fascinating. It can really help people. They're like in four-stage trials for psychedelics for treatment-resistant depression and anxiety. The ground we've covered in changing people's sort of perception of psychedelics and getting like the right information out there has been so dramatic in such a short amount of time. I'm just so interested in seeing where this goes next. And I mean, I, I think it's a positive thing. I think these drugs, like they can really help people with PTSD and, I mean, I said on Instagram this morning, that's what I want to do for my 40th birthday. That's what I've asked for. for my, now, I got a while. I told thir- we turned 30. You just turned 38. I turned 38 in July. But I told my husband, I was like, what I want for my 40th birthday is a psychedelic trip. And he was like, you are the weirdest human on planet Earth. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm on trend. See, and Denver's backing me up. Sarah is on trend. So why are you interested in doing it recreationally? I totally understand the argument of if, like, if this can really help people, let's allow it to help people. And yeah. I've always felt... I had this conversation with my mom about marijuana a long time ago because we were talking about medical marijuana for pain management. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm so much more comfortable with something that grows in the ground being yep. used for pain management than something that's cooked up in a lab. I know that's overly simplistic, but that's where I was when we had this conversation. And I still feel that a little bit. So I, I understand if it can help someone, we have all kinds of dangerous things being marketed that can help someone dangerous to some extent, right? There's always risk when you put something in your body that's not like a carrot. I get it. But why recreationally does this interest you? Because I'm really 
obsessed is probably too strong of a word. I'm really interested and think a lot about the bell curve of middle age, like that you hit this point where your happiness kind of bottoms out and you don't like rise back up till you're in your 60s and 70s. I'm not, I refuse to do that. I'm just not going to let sort of the malaise of middle age affect my happiness levels. Like I just want to try to combat that. And so he makes a pretty good case in the book that in particular, like the psychedelic he ends up recommending is psilocybin in particular. And he makes a really good, interesting case in the book that when they first started studying psychedelics, what they thought they were going to see is when they scanned people's brains that were tripping, that they were going to see all this elevated activity in other areas of the brain, which is not what they found, which is really interesting. What they actually found is the quieting of what we call the default mode network, which is, you know, just our own individual set of filters we put on all the information we get as humans. And sometimes, you know, they go too far and the the filter is too unmovable. And that's how sometimes you can get into depression and anxiety. Sometimes it's a little too loose. And that is how you end up in schizophrenia. But that's mass, mass overgeneralization. Please don't email me all you super official doctors and researchers. I know that I'm painting with a broad brush here. But the default mode network, you know, it's the older you get, they analogize it to like skiing. So like you, you, you pave this path in the snow, and then that path is paved. So you pave it over and over and over again. And you cut that path in the snow, not paved. But And they analogize psychedelics to like shaking up the snow globe. Like it just sort of – it's not a permanent disruption, but it gives you a vision. It gives you something to look to as like these stories I tell myself, the way my brain has functioned for 40-plus years, doesn't always serve me. It's not the complete story. And it's just because of psychology and our big monkey brains, it's just so hard to do. I mean, like they say somebody that's – on psychedelics, their brain looks like like monks who have meditated for hours a day for 20 plus years. Like it's just it's a truly it's a kind of a shortcut to that type of emotional breakthrough. And it can offer a lot of insight, especially what you want from the trip is very predictive of sort of what you get. Like if you go in thinking, I want to view this differently, I want to break out of this thought cycle or whatever, like you can kind of predict what path your trip will take in a way. You need a guide for sure. That's not, like that's the only safe way to do it to help you if you encounter scary things or to to talk through what you want to get out of it. But I'm just totally fascinated by the idea that you can have this experience that will open up new ways of understanding, open up new ways of thinking about yourself and your connection to other people and your connection to the world. Because I do think those filters and the and the way the stories we tell ourselves are so very strong. And I think that especially as we creep into middle age, they can be really problematic. And so I'm really interested in an, in an experience and a substance that reading the research and looking through all the information, the benefit of that experience far, far outweigh the risk for somebody like me. How important is that for somebody like me, caveat? What are the factors that would make that not true? Where the risk would outweigh the benefit? Yes. Well, I mean, like they really advise, again, if you're very young in your 20s and you have a history of schizophrenia in your family, yeah, you don't want to do psychedelics. That's That would be a bad plan. Like the risk would outweigh the benefits if you were doing it without a guide because you could encounter something really scary. Nobody would help you. No one would be there to help you navigate it. You could expose yourself to risky situations. So I think there are definitely risk factors where they're like, this is not the right experience for you. Well, because of my age, because I don't have that sort of mental history, because I have the resources to do this in a really safe way, I don't see a lot of risk for me. Hmm. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, you need, I want you to ask your uh, therapist and see what he says. I'm intrigued by people's, especially mental health professionals, ideas about it and thoughts about it. I just think like, even my like I was talking to my doctor about it. And I just think for the most part, even a lot of mental health professionals, like if this is not your area of expertise, there's just still a lot, a lot of dated perceptions and misinformation about psychedelics out there. That is not that I think everybody should go do psychedelics. Obviously, we're going to get so much email about that. We're going to get just, so many emails. I'm sitting it's here fine. quietly meditating for my <sighs> inbox. Sarah at PantsuPoliticsShow.com. I'm, I'm just telling you, I read the book and I was like, you got me. You hooked me, Michael Pollan. I'm in. I'm all in. And like I have a lot of friends who've done psychedelics. It's not necessarily like a, a truly like 
out there experience. Lots of people do psychedelics. Lots of people in their 20s, probably not in the safest situations. But I'm just totally intrigued by it. And I think, it, you know, you know who's really into it is Tim Ferriss. He's, like, pouring millions of dollars. They're opening up the, like, very first specific scientific institute dedicated to psychedelics in England attached to this, like, fancy university. He's, like, he's all in because I think it really helped. He had depression and it really helped him. So I don't know. I'm here for it. Good job, Denver. (laughs) It's funny because I feel like in most of our conversations, the theme is that I am more comfortable with a loss of control than you are. Yeah. And this is an area where I do not feel that way even a tiny bit. I do not like substances that make me feel out of control. Like I took Neurotin for quite a while for the pain associated with fibromyalgia. And I hated it so much because it made me feel this little bit of space around my brain that like it was just like distance between me and a full present experience of the world. Now that I I don't want to comment on whether anybody else would experience that. Like these are individual decisions that you got to make with your medical professionals and observe the effects in your own body. For me, it was so disorienting and miserable that I worked really hard to find alternative paths to not have to use something like that. I understand that what you're saying is it's different to take a drug every day versus have right, an experience right, right. with something. So I see the distance there, but the few times in my life where I've had that feeling, I had a couple of drinks, too many drinks, whatever. The times in my life when I have felt like out of control, I hate that feeling so much. And I I love the feeling of meditation, but I think it's because I know that I'm voluntarily surrendering and it's hard. It's really, really hard. And I sort of like the challenge of it. But I also like knowing that if I want to take the driver's seat back, it's it is readily available to me. Well, I mean, I think it's a couple of things for me. Like, yeah, absolutely. I know that drive to want to control situations. I also know it does not serve me and that it is something I would really like to break free from. And for better or for worse, I think I could meditate two hours a day for the rest of my life and still only chip away at it because it's such a powerful instinct in my brain. And also, I have this instinct of, like, the second I'm kind of afraid for something, I lean in. Like, the second I'm like, ooh, I feel myself backing away from that just based purely on fear of loss of control, I, like, lean in. That's I think that's why I did well with natural birth, because I was like, I could feel myself being like, ee, and I was like, no, lean in. It's also, I think, it, it plays to what I learned in birth, which is, you know— and this is what they tell you about trips. If you are, if you see something during your trip that you are afraid of, you need to lean into it. And I am good at that because of birth, because that's what I learned at birth. If it's painful, lean in, like lean into the suck. That's my guarding, my my guiding light, you know. And so I think there's, you know, just all those different components of the experience and how they tell you to navigate it line up with a lot of other positive experiences I've had in my life with those types of. I'm saying experiences a lot. I feel like I'm using the word a lot, but that's just, yeah. I I think that in my life when I've learned, like, you are tightening up because you're afraid of losing control, you need to lean into that. It has always been a very rewarding experience from, like, when I was little and my dad put me on a roller coaster in tears all the way through having natural birth. And so I think there's just – I feel that kind of through line when I read about people having, again, very safe – guided with a medical professional experiences with psychedelics, that it appeals to me. It really does. It does not appeal to me at all. But (laughs) I also want to acknowledge that you have done a lot more research in this area. I mean, I know nothing about this. I'm just way out of my depth here. I know nothing about this. Everybody should read the book. Literally. it's Even if you don't, you're like, I'm never going to do psychedelics as long as I live. Totally cool. Fine. But particularly the history of how we responded to it in the 60s and like how we shut it all down and the reason it's just so it's such an interesting story and such an interesting commentary on our culture because one of the really interesting things he talks about is there's you know the United States was not the first 
country to encounter psychedelics, obviously. And there is a long history in many other cultures of using psychedelics as a spiritual experience. And what's so interesting, though, is that we got it. We kind of got it flip flopped. Like often it is people with with guides from way later in life using these drugs middle age or later. And so in the United States, we kind of got in front of that. And you had all these people in their 20s, early 30s, and the older generation had no experience. And he kind of hypothesizes that's part of why everybody got so freaked out, because it was young people pushing this experience, whereas in most cultures, it's older people who've had a lot of experience guiding slightly younger, but still middle age or older people through it as a religious experience. And so it's just it's a really, really interesting book. I cannot highly I cannot recommend it highly enough. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Does it talk about cultural appropriation in that context? Oh, yeah. Yes. He talks about how these have been used in other cultures, what we misunderstand about that, how the leaders of this were kind of like white explorers and appropriators just like came in, scooped it up and left. The history is all there. I think that's an important aspect because the little bit that I do see about psychedelics in my life now tends to feel culturally appropriative to me. People who say they want to go have a spiritual experience without really like learning anything about it. I think they just want to go have the trip. Right. Right. And I I don't feel uncomfortable 
about that. I do want to like land this plane in a somewhat <laughs> political zone by tying into this conversation, the Trump administration's announcement that it's going to make pharmaceutical companies start to put in their ads the cost of the drugs. The president said on Twitter, if companies are ashamed of the prices of the drugs, then they should lower them. And I do think that is an interesting point that the president made on Twitter that is actually worthy of discussion. I take the drug company's point that oftentimes people do not pay the list price. However, when you say, oh, they don't pay the list price because it's often covered by insurance, you perpetuate the idea that because there's insurance, we don't suffer under the cost of medical care. And that is false. Hi, drug companies. I still pay for insurance and I still pay for the high cost of pharmaceuticals, even if I'm not using them, because that's how insurance works. Loves and kisses. Sarah. I found that argument very frustrating. I think this is a step in the right direction. I really struggle with pharmaceutical advertising at all because I think that the prevalence of certain drugs just wears away at our ability to make good judgments about when we need them. So I didn't intend to talk about this twice in one episode, but when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, it It was kind of a, I suspect this is the diagnosis from a general practitioner who then said, I could refer you to a specialist or we could put you on, I think it was Lyrica, which was the big drug that was being advertised at the time for fibromyalgia. And I said, I will take the specialist, please, and thank you. Because to me, getting on Lyrica was like a very dramatic escalation when we weren't even certain about the diagnosis. And I understand that you can never be totally certain about the fibromyalgia diagnosis, but we weren't even as close as you might be able to get to the, you know what I mean? And I just Mm -hmm. thought that we're taking that leap. I wasn't mad at the doctor, though. I understand it. Like the advertising works, you know, and it works in ways that we can't be fully conscious of all the time. And I don't find it empowering as a patient to have these drug ads on a loop in my head I feel like that steers me in a particular direction as I interact with my physician instead of being open to a variety of options. And I feel like it pushes us to escalate conditions before Mm -hmm. we need to. So I think the pricing disclosure is a good idea. I'm just wondering if we need to go farther than that and say, we're not going to do drug advertising anymore. I mean, I'm down for that. Look, I think at the very beginning of drug advertising, there was a semi-valid argument that it empowered patients to talk about their own care, perhaps. Now, y'all, we have this thing called Dr. Google. So I think the argument that They needed information in order to be empowered to talk about their own care. It's just so ludicrous in the face of the Internet that now the only reason you have drug advertising is to sell more drugs. And considering what we're learning about drug companies and their strategies, particularly surrounding the opioid epidemic, I mean— They were doing bananas things. You have drug companies going to jail because of the links they were going to sell drugs. So if a patient wants more information, there's a ready source available to them. The idea that they're no longer empowered. I mean, you can ask any physician about the ways in which people come armed with Google results and are like, I want to do this. Don't I don't want to hear what you have to say about it. I just I don't think that argument is any longer valid. And so. There are other sources. They don't have to depend on a TV commercial. All that to say, shut them down. I'm totally happy with that solution. I don't think it's I don't think it's a no brainer. I mean, I think that there are issues to the government saying you can't advertise in this way that concern me. I just wonder if on balance that wouldn't be the best thing. I I do think there's value in, you know. Everybody kind of mocks the restless leg syndrome or used to mock that when when those commercials were really prevalent. There is some value in saying to people, this is a thing. You're not crazy. Mm-hmm. There, This is a thing. And it's something you should talk to your doctor about. And Yeah, but sometimes they make up things. That's the other problem. 
Drug companies make up drugs to treat conditions that don't exist. Well, or that could be treated without drugs. That's the, to me, that's the hard part, right? Where you have something that is that is happening that a lot of people are experiencing and it interferes with their quality of life. And also, there are some options that don't require drugs. And I'm afraid that the empowerment we might gain marginally from those advertisements is drowned out by the disempowerment of being pointed to one particular solution without any guidance or mm-hmm. training or data around what that solution might involve. So I, I don't think this is easy But I do think it's an area that requires more exploration, and I'm happy that the administration is taking a step in that direction by requiring the disclosure of the costs. Well, this was a weird episode. (laughs) I like it. I'm here for it. I'm going to launch a psychedelic podcast. Do you want to join me? No, thank you. (laughs) It could be half psychedelics, half beauty products. That is a niche right there. Peace out. That is a valid, important niche, I think. Maybe I could talk Jamie Golden into it. (laughs) You're going to have to find another partner. I'm not not up for that. Oh, it's too funny. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back with you next week when we are going to start our annual Patreon drive. We need celebratory music here, Dylan. Yay! 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 It's going to be fun, you guys. It's like, it's, we got to talk it up like NPR does. It's that time of year. It's our fall and spring donor drive. Listen, Pansy Politics is listener supported. So we got to, it's important. I'm excited to talk about it. We got some exciting things too coming. Yes. I think we have some really exciting things to share with you and some really good plans. And so we hope that you are here for that and all of the news. There is sure to be lots of it next week. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.